Welcome to the K1 Visa Podcast with your hosts, Drew and Holly. Hello to whoever you are, wherever you are. I'm Drew. And I'm Holly. We are bringing you the K1 Visa Podcast, also titled Coming to America on iTunes Podcasts, if you're looking for us there. Tonight, we're going to bring you some immigration news and how it doesn't apply to us. We're going to have a little bit of a special focus on a couple of issues, and we'll run through some questions that have been posted in our K1 group and AOS groups. So let's get into it. So recently, there's been some K1 um, chatter on Facebook regarding the USCIS officers. Uh, that are closing in 23 countries around the world, including the Philippines, and that one made the most news for obvious reasons. Um, so we just like to run through what that means for you. Holly, what do you think it means for us? Basically, absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, they, as far as what I was aware of, they um, don't have anything to do with K-1 visas, so it really doesn't affect any of us um, in any shape or form whether you live in the Philippines or if you live somewhere else, if your petition is going through those particular um, centres, it doesn't affect you in the slightest. Yeah, that's the way I understood it to be as well. We um, had a look at what those centres cover and mostly it's business visas and uh, general tourist visas, a lot of which were being declined anyway um, in certain countries. Um, So they're basically just giving the U.S. embassies and um, other consulates a little bit more work to do, and closing offices. It's basically a rationalisation of funds for the U.S. government as far as those things are concerned. And who knows? It might actually mean that petitions in those countries are actually um, processed a lot quicker as well because it means hopefully they'll have you know more resources. I don't know what they're planning on doing with those staff, but... I mean, if they know the system and everything else, then who knows, they may bring them on board as well. Yeah, that's pretty important, I think. um, There's been no mention of actually giving, making staff cuts, just closing those particular offices. Yeah, so it could actually be a positive thing rather than a negative. Yeah, I agree. So that's that's pretty much the only thing we had in immigration news this week that might have affected um, K1 visa applicants or AOS applicants, the AOS has nothing to do with those centres either. Um, So once you're trying to get your status adjusted here in the US, it's really only between um, USCIS here and your local um, service centre in whatever state you're in. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. So um, another thing that has been circulating on Facebook um, was around a post that was posted on Visa Journey um, and was seen by numerous members um, and posted on pretty much every single K-1 Visa um, Facebook page or AOS page um, trying to alert people about a woman that was arrested during a routine traffic stop and she um, was over her 90-day um threshold with the I-94. Now, we have discussed this on numerous occasions in terms of the time frame in order to file AOS. Now, there is actually no time frame to file AOS. 
yes, you run a risk of running into issues um, in terms of if law enforcement pulled you over because you were doing something illegal um, and then they took you in and questioned you, found out that your green card hadn't been applied for or you haven't tried to adjust status or what have you, then yes, you may run into some issues. However, I do believe that there was more to this story than what was actually mentioned. Um, For instance, when I read through some of the comments, I found out that she had an issue with her marriage certificate not being filed when it should have been. She even filed um, with, I believe, the court um, that there was an issue with the minister and the way that they had conducted um, the handling of her um, marriage certificate and what have you. Um, so I don't know if that meant that the per- the person that married this couple um, put the incorrect date on it or if they filed it too late and it was after the 90 days of when she was supposed to get married. I don't know the ins and outs. But I do believe that people are um, reading into this a little bit more than what they probably should um, and they're panicking. And the more people that post this particular case um, – the more you're kind of putting everybody on edge because then they think, well, I've got to file it within the 90 days, therefore they're going to be rushed doing their petition. They may not have enough evidence. They may make mistakes. Um, So my advice personally is, I mean, I've personally waited 10 months before I filed AOS. I've been driving around. I've had no issues whatsoever. Um, Then again, I haven't done anything illegal either. So um, I've had no reason to be pulled (laughs) over. I've had no reason to be pulled over or um, or anything like that. So um, I was ne- I've never actually been scared that I was going to be deported because, as far as I'm concerned, I followed what my visa um, requirements were, which was to get married within 90 days. And there is no statement anywhere that says you have to file AOS within those 90 days. Yeah, and there's been um, plenty of documented cases of people applying six and eight years after getting married and being here for that long. Now, it makes it hard to work. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's definitely not a, not a huge issue, provided you're not actually breaking any laws. Yeah, and I think, and, and, I, and I don't want to, like, jump to conclusions and say this woman brought it on herself because she was doing something illegal or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I feel there was much more to the story than what was actually initially written in in that particular forum so if people actually took the time and read through the comments some of the stuff doesn't line up in what she had mentioned she said she'd started the petition she hadn't yet sent it away yet because she was waiting on her husband's tax returns to come back there was also an issue with getting her marriage certificate and what have you so even though you know, she was saying she was going to file it within 90 days. She still hadn't actually received a lot of the evidence that she needed to be able to even apply for AOS. So she would have been declined without a marriage certificate. Um, and, you know, and it's always good to have tax returns because you're more than likely going to get an RFE saying that we need the most recent tax returns anyway. So I do feel that people um, need to stop panicking a little bit and, um, it doesn't just, you know, panic you. It panics everybody within the K1 AOS community. So, yeah, I think people need to cease with that particular post. I agree. And um, I think hopefully that that's run its course now. Um, although I think every time there's new people and they get on Visa Journey, they don't see that everybody <laughs> else has already been through it. And then we end up doing that, let's call it a news cycle again. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, really, and that, it should that be happens. a no news cycle. Yes, and and I mean, and if unless you've been kind of, um, I mean, you and I both have been through this process now. Well, well you know, we both started this in two thousand and seventeen, so. A lot of this is like rinse and repeat for us. We've seen cycles of certain things go through um, over the past almost two years that we've gone through this. Um, and, you know, it, for us, it's like we've read this. We know this isn't the case. You know, don't yeah. panic. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's, it's, that's true of a lot of things. There's a lot of things that at first glance you're like, oh, that could be a real problem. And then you realise that there's – usually a special circumstance or something that's happened that's caused it to be a problem rather than it actually being an issue. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, so the other thing we wanted to have a bit of a focus on was social media and supplying documents in a way that doesn't set you up for either a rejection or a request for further evidence. So I guess what I'm talking about here is people on social media referring to each other as Mrs. X and Mr. X, being that one of them has already changed their name um, on there. Um, because the embassy is, uh, when they do, well, not the embassies, USCIS, when they're doing your application, are looking to make sure that you are not already married. Um, uh -huh. The K-1 visa is for fiancés so that one can move to the US and then get married to their fiancé. Um, if you're already married, then you file for CR1. And yeah, look, it's just a, it's a paperwork issue, but it, it is something that will cause them to have a second look. Um, so there has been people who have perhaps set themselves up as being married on Facebook. And I know that there are people that call each other husband and wife in their, in their messenger chat, and that's fine. Um, that's just the nickname that you've changed at the top of the page. But I think it's uh -huh. important to not uh, confuse that with um, actually changing your name on Facebook before the fact or posting photos of a engagement party where you're in a wedding dress uh, because those yeah. things, and in some, some cultures that's a thing, but it's important not to do that um, if you're not actually married. Um, yeah, I mean, I was one of those people, Andrew, where I called my husband husband before we were married and he had my nickname set up as wife or what have you. Yeah. Um, and I sent those screenshots to USCIS and I honestly didn't think anything of it. I just thought they might think it was cute, <laughs> being the naive person that I was. Yeah. Um, back in 2017. Um, now, I didn't run into any problems. But I'm not saying that other people won't, um, especially if you are from, and this is horrible, but if you're from a high fraud country, they're going to find everything they possibly can to try and scrutinize and um, put your, you know, put your petition on, on grand lights and all the rest of it to try yeah. and find whatever they can to say, no, I'm sorry, but um there's something that's not right in this and you need to send it. There's, there's going to be an RFE or you're going to be declined because of this. And it's, it's, it's sad, but um, unfortunately some countries um, do require further, um, what's the word, interrogating? I, I don't know yeah, what the word is. I guess this is. is the extreme bidding that was talked about <laughs> yes, in the yeah. 2016 election campaign. 
And, and you know, like we had um, one of our members from Canada, um, I won't mention names, but she was chosen for extreme vetting as well. And it, Canada is just across the border and it's not a country that they're concerned about. Um, and she's a really nice person. She, you know, she doesn't look like she's a ter- terrorist of any sort. So um, she, and she was chosen for the extreme vetting as well. And I mean, they, it is random in some cases and in some cases it's not. So yeah, I, I think there's cases in countries that aren't considered high fraud that are random. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, not sure that the countries that they consider high fraud to be random at all. I think they possibly yeah. go through everybody with a fine tooth comb in that issue instance, but um, yeah, it's look, it's their prerogative. It's what they're paid to do. Exactly. And you've got to also, in some ways, you've got to be grateful because now that we're living, I mean, personally, now that I'm living here, it does kind of give me a little bit of peace of mind knowing that these people are, all they're trying to do is make sure that people that are living in the US and their people, the US citizens, are looked after and they're not going to be putting them in any kind of danger by, you know, allowing somebody that could have terrorist ties or something of that nature into the country. You know, they're the first port of call, really. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I had a interesting job uh, back in Australia before I left, and I had a bit to do with immigration people coming uh, to the airport where I worked, and uh, and that for similar reasons for asylum seekers there, um, and it does give you a different perspective on why we do this vetting, uh, because uh-huh. it, it isn't all sunshine and roses, um, and sometimes the wrong people do get through. Um, yeah. hopefully that's rare, um, but that's, yeah. that's why this, this is done. If you don't have anything to hide, then you don't have anything to worry about. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but, um, I really do believe that's the case. Um, there's, there's a lot of people that worry about this, this sort of thing. And I don't really think that, you know, providing your social media history or anything like that should be that big of an issue if you don't have anything to hide. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, I didn't actually send that much social mis- – when, when I went through my petition, I think I sent maybe like six screenshots of conversations over like one of each month kind of thing and then phone call logs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have sent more, but um, again, I didn't actually do my petition. I had somebody to file it on my behalf. Yeah. Um, so, and he put it all together and I had no RFE whatsoever. Um, some countries I know they are a little bit more stringent and say, you have to send me all of this information and it's kind of like daunting. And then I see people that have like 10 folders that are sending, you know, that they're planning on taking to their interview and it's like, they're not going to go through all of that. They really will not go through all of that. It, there's just... just they won't have the time for one. I and think really, it slows it down. Yeah, I do too because in some ways, I mean, you're kind of – there's two sides of the coin. You can either supply too much information and then you end up looking guilty of something, like you're trying to overprove something, or B, you're not supplying enough evidence and then they kind of say, well, I need more evidence to this. So there's a very fine line in between, um, but I don't think – screenshots of every single conversation you've had in the past, you know, 10 years or however long you've been together is necessary. 
Um, they just basically want to see that you guys have been together for a certain period of time. Yeah, they want you um, to have met in the last two years. Yeah, and I mean that that's pretty easy to prove with, you know, plane tickets or, um, you know, yeah, receipts from hotels, they, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, they, they usually want visa stamps for that, uh, passport yeah. stamps. Um, or my, even your I-94. Yeah, my plane tickets didn't count. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, huh. they, they sent it back, said this doesn't have a year on it. Um, really? Yeah. Um, huh. it didn't, it didn't matter, but yeah, the plane tickets don't count if they haven't got a year on it. Oh, mine had years on them. So there you uh, go. There you go. And you but I did them. supply, yeah, <laughs> I did supply my I-94 and pictures of my stamp on my passport as well as my plane tickets though. Yeah. So it, I kind of covered all bases from that perspective. Yeah, I ended up uh, sending back the stamps and everything was good from there. Right. But and it only cost me a week or two. It wasn't a really big deal. No, that's right. That was something to do with your RFE, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I wouldn't have been able to come out any earlier as it was. And there goes yeah. your air conditioner again. Yeah, I'm Just sorry about that. Just for people listening so they can understand why it's loud in the background. Yeah. Apparently it's hot in hot. Ohio. Uh, yeah, it's only like sixty-five degrees outside, and I have my house set on sixty-eight. So I'm not, uh, I'm not quite sure why. It's kicking on at the moment, but... <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some question and answer. And welcome back. Uh, time for some questions and answer. And one of those questions is that I actually passed off to Holly was, how do you change your name? Um, and there's a rather long explanation for the question, but I'll let her go into it. Right. So I was approached by one of our members um, and also a friend of mine, um, and she had some issues with her name. Well, actually, in terms of there's two sides of this because, one, she wasn't sure how to change her name after she was married um, and the answer to that in Ohio, and I'm pretty sure it's majority of the US, you actually don't need to change your name. Your marriage license is sufficient to be able to say, well, my name is such and such, and I'm that's my husband's name, so I'm taking that. It's mm-hmm. just kind of assumed that that's your last name. Yeah. Um, now, her issue was she actually went in to go and apply for her social security number. She went into the offices before she got married. Um, she applied for it, um, and about four weeks later, she received a phone call, and this was after she got married, um, saying that they could not fit her name on the social uh, social security card, um, given the fact that she has a very long first middle name um, and so forth. Now, at that point, she kind of was like, well, I've just got married, actually, so can I change my name to my married name? And they said, well, we need proof of that. So then that would then obviously require her to then go into Social Security um, and take her marriage license to show that this is indeed her last name now. Um, But still doesn't help the fact that she has a very long name to begin with. Um, Now, I don't know the answer to that because fortunately for me, I have three names my first name well actually I have two names my first name is actually hyphened and um but I don't go by that because I hate it thanks mum and dad um and my last name is now shorter than what my married name was so it's great it's all of four letters um 
Now, yeah, you're all in sorted. terms, yeah, exactly. So in terms of changing your name, like I mentioned, you don't need to change your name because your marriage license is sufficient to be your assumed last name. Now, in terms of social security, at that point, I would have said to them, well, I'm a K-1 visa holder. I'm entitled to a social security number. How are you going to fix this? Because at that point, them turning around and saying, well, I'm sorry, um, I'm going to put you in the too hard basket and I'm not going to deal with your particular case and leave it for somebody else to deal with um, is kind of the impression I get because they didn't have an answer for her in terms of her name. Um, surely they have some way of cutting the name down in terms of like your first name um, and then maybe leaving the middle names out and leaving it to your first and your last name you and then so, somewhere, yeah, and then some somehow you know, putting the middle names or what have you in her notes somewhere. I'm sure they have notes on people with social security. And I mean, most places do. Um, or even just leaving the middle names off the card itself um, when they print it. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. But I think, again, I think I've had this conversation with multiple people. Um, you really do need to know what you're entitled to and really push for what you're entitled to. Um, so someone turning around saying to me, sorry, your name's too long. I can't put it on, on a card. So therefore I'm not going to give you a card. Um, at that point I would be like, okay, well, I need to speak to your supervisor Absolutely. Um, and take it further. Yeah, definitely. So, um, which I wish I'd known when I applied for mine for other reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone has interesting stories when they come away from the social security office because they just have this piece of paper that they go by and that's basically all they know. They don't know anything beyond that. Mm. Um, I think there's a major lack in communication with USCIS and the Social Security Office and I also believe that they do not supply them with enough training, um, which is, it seems like majority of the government agencies such as BMV or like where you go and get your licence, it's the same thing. There's not a lot of training for people um, and I do feel sorry for those people because they end up getting you know, shitty immigrants like myself that just turn around and say, well, no, stuff off. You're going <laughs> to yeah. you're gonna help yep. me um, because I know what I'm entitled to because I've done so much reading about it. So you're going to help me whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you but, usually yeah. need some resistance at that point, but yeah, need to press yeah. on. Um, but I do think, like, just going back over that, I do think that people need to, um, research what they're entitled to. Again, I spoke about this last week. Um, and really, if you're really not sure, I mean, I'm more than happy to try and help people. And I know you are too, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew, absolutely. sorry. Um, and if people do have questions that are slightly out of the ordinary or what have you, and they don't feel comfortable posting it on the page, I'm quite happy for people to um, PM me. Um, yeah, I'm but not- in saying... Yeah, I don't have an issue with that either. I'm just not always able to get back to people straight away. Yeah, um, and same with me. I do have a life outside of Facebook, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for me, I'm working. Yeah, I'm so. not, but, you know. <laughs> yep, I know you have things to do anyway, which is fair enough. All right, so let's move on to some other questions now. Um, so there's one here from Terry Geiger in our Facebook group, he says, how many others really wonder what the exact role of the MVC is in the K-1 process? From what I can gather, the documents are brought to the MVC, then a miracle occurs, 
and for most people, around three weeks to get the case-ready status. Please enlighten me if you have a better understanding. I love, I love the I love the miracle occurs part of that. I think it's quite funny. It it does actually sometimes feel like that for people. I'm sure. Yeah. So the role of the NVC is pretty simple. It's just basically they collect the uh, approved petition, they assign it a case number, and they forward it to the necessary embassy or consulate. That's it. Um, but they can also return it to the USCIS if it hasn't got a stamp on it um, or some other problem with the form not being processed correctly at the USCIS. So sometimes it takes a bit longer than it should, even though you may have an approval already from um, from on the website because I believe USCIS set that rather than MVC. Uh, anything you want to add? No, I'm pretty sure that that's... I, I mean, that's my understanding as well. At, and while, at one point in the process when this was going back, you know, over a year ago now, I did think that they maybe ran secondary security checks, but that I'm not so sure about now. I'm pretty sure that, like you say, that's just – and I think I heard that from somebody else that didn't really know what they were talking about as well. So, um, Yeah, and it's easy and to that's make assumptions the problem. like that. Yeah, that's the problem with Chinese whispers. You know, you, you hear something and then you then you say it to somebody else and then that person says it to somebody else and then it can change um, change its whole form and what what you're talking about. But, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that it's, that's pretty much all their role is. I think that they're just – and, I mean, it seems like it's kind of a little bit of a wasted resource in some ways. I don't know. In my opinion, I don't really understand – why they have to have a separate division to be able to send it to the embassy because, you know, usually embassies work within each other and USCIS does deal with embassies directly. So, I don't know, it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, it is. Um, I think since they've gone digital, it's helped a lot. I know that there's people that have been approved in 85 days now, which is yeah kind of depressing that's for me huge. given how long it took mine, 200 and something. <laughs> yeah, that that's massive. Like I think for me, it was 186 days between my NOA one and my interview yeah. for memory. Yeah, and you know that was more, that mine mine was quick back then. You know, I like I got yeah. approved in six and a half or six months or five and a half months, like somewhere around there. Um, and you know, I was jumping for joy. I was like, hell yeah! Like this is way quicker than what I thought it was going to be. I mean, obviously at the time it wasn't quick. I was like, Jesus, please hurry up! But at this, but like, given the fact that there were people like yourself, you know, waiting over two hundred days or what have you, it's like I was dreading having to wait that long. And then all of a sudden, I got approved, and I was like, wow, that was quick. And then there was more waiting. So. Um, that's the other thing too I think people need to realise when they do receive the NOA too, you still have got at least two months to wait. So even though you've been approved, you've still got, you know, you've got to wait for your case number and you've also got to wait on your embassy to be able to see when you can get an interview. And more often than not, um, the interviews do, I mean, very lucky if you get one in less than a month. You know, most embassies only hold them every, you know, one maybe once a week, um, so four in a month, four yeah. days in a month that yeah. they actually do the interviews. Um, so I don't think it's yeah. as often as that. Yeah, and I, I don't think New Zealanders either. The 
and that's yeah. it. Yeah, and I, I think I think New Zealand was maybe twice twice a month, somewhere around there. So um, I do think it's important that yes, it's so exciting when you get your winner in a way too, but you still not you you still got a little while a little while to go yet. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always wait, hurry up and wait. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there goes my AC again. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> so we had, a, had another question yesterday. It's a tax question. Can I claim my fiancé for my 2019 tax return as a dependent, assuming we did not get married before January 2020? Thanks in advance. I had a quick no. with my mother-in-law, exactly. <laughs> She's a, uh, a an accountant uh, who does our tax, actually. And no, you can't. Uh, essentially, you need to be married before you can be claimed as a dependent, which even though you're depending on the person while you're in the country beforehand, uh, legally, you're not a dependent if you're not uh, related and you're not related until you get married. Yeah. So that's uh, a quick one there. Uh, what else do we have? K1 was approved. What's the next step so I can be ahead of the game? These ones are kind of funny because your K-1 comes through, you get your NOA-2, which is the approval notice, and then what happens? You wait. <laughs> like everything else, you wait some Are more. you surprised? I'm not surprised. <laughs> you, you... I think we kind of covered that before when we were talking about, you know, the waiting from NOA-2. And then you have to wait a little bit longer. Like you do have, I mean, there's certain things you can do, sure, like your DS160 or whatever it is, um, when you get your case number. I don't know. Apparently, you don't need your case number. I always thought you did because I'm pretty sure I used mine. I don't know if they've changed it now. There are Um, people asking for case numbers so they can do their medical um, bookings because apparently the the medical centers want bookings using the case number. I had to provide yes, my I had to have number. Mine. Okay. So, um, and that's a number that you don't get until you get approved. Right, yeah. So Which I, is on your NOA 2 notice. That's correct. Uh, so I booked mine with my NOA 2 uh, number well before I had my interview um, booked uh, about four Actually, weeks earlier. Actually, yeah, while, while you're talking about that, Andrew, let's touch on that. Um, so... Another thing to remember is don't book your medicals too soon because I made that mistake. I was so excited. I I did the same thing and I booked it like a month in advance, which that meant, I mean, it wasn't an issue for you, Andrew, because you got approved so quickly. That's true. For me, because I waited so long before I filed, being 10 months, um, my um, medical was due to expire um, on the 18th of June, I think it was. And have you got any um, information yet about that yet? No, I haven't. I haven't received anything, so I don't know whether or not they're going to say I need, another, I need to have another medical or not. Um, but my suggestion is is find out when you can book an appointment or book your interview and uh-huh. then book your medical. So if, for instance, you can get a, um interview within a month, then book your medical two weeks prior to that um, to that interview. Don't don't book it, you know, before you even have an interview date, because if you're doing it, you know, too soon, and you, then you have to wait two months before you have an interview, then that's two months off 
when you when you get to the US, two months less than what you have to um, file your AOS if you don't file it within the ninety days. So you need to be so, really organised if you if you get your medical early. Yes, and if you're not planning on filing on the ninety uh, within the ninety days, and I mean. I think everybody tries to, but there is so much to do in those 90 days. You know, you've got to plan a wedding. You've got to try and get your social security number. You've got to try and read, like readjust your whole everything because you've just moved to a whole new country that you have no idea what the hell you're doing. Um, so there's so much to do within those 90 days. And the last thing people need to be doing is stressing about trying to get the AOS in because they feel like they're going to be deported if they don't. Yeah. So that's why I went back to saying, you know, I think it's really important for people to make sure that they've got everything organised before they go ahead and um, file for AOS rather than pushing this uh, unexisting or this unexistent deadline that they have to have it done within 90 days because that's not the case. Absolutely, yeah. I um, I actually got mine done quickly because both of the doctors that did the US visa medicals in the city that I lived in were going on leave for a month. Right. Yeah. So I had to jump in um, and get it done because I didn't want to. Yeah, and sometimes it can't be helped. So, yeah, of course. Sometimes circumstances. Um, And that's, you know, that's good too. I was organized enough to get my AOS sorted out before my medical expired. And yeah, I'm. I only got 15 months to go now until I have to refile for the removal of conditions. So we'll get to that pretty shortly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm still waiting on my AOS. You'll probably have your <laughs> removal of conditions. I don't know about that. We'll see how we go. <laughs> okay. So can I start to fill out the DS-160 form before I've got the MVC number? Or do I have to wait until I get it? Yeah, see, I always thought you did, but apparently you don't. When I did mine, I'm, I'm like 99.9% positive that I had to supply my case number as well as my invoice number, which I received from USCIS or NBC, sorry. Yeah, I knew um, I had to put my alien number on it. Um, yeah, so I mean, I could I could be wrong, and I know that I have seen quite a few people say, oh, no, you only have to use your receipt number, your WAC number that you receive. So mm, they could have changed it. Yeah. But um, I was almost positive that I had to put my case number in. So I guess the answer to that is try it. See if you can. Well, that's I mean, exactly you're not right, going to yeah. do anything. You're not going to, I mean, you can always redo it. It's not, I mean, it doesn't get submitted as far as I'm aware. It doesn't get submitted anywhere until um, you give them the confirmation number that they can bring it up. So it just basically gets Put into the ether. Yeah. Yeah. It's put into the ether until somebody decides to open it. So if you don't pass on that um, confirmation code, they're not going to be able to find it. Yep. Okay. And our last question is, I'm curious as to what things are done in the medical portion of the visa program process. So they basically want to know what is being looked for at your, um, at your medical. Um, you want to, do you want to talk about that first, Andrew? Yeah, sure. Look, um, the first thing they do is they make sure that you've had all your booster vaccines um, if you're old enough to need them, um, which I was and I had to have a few. Um, they also do a chest x-ray uh, generally to check that you haven't got tuberculosis. 
uh, and they also do a urine test for STDs and possibly other things that I do not know exactly what they are. I half expect they did a drug test, but I wouldn't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they do. I don't think they do drug tests. They, um, they might not, but if they did, I don't. We think wouldn't they'd know be. Anyway. We wouldn't know. Yeah, it's not like we see the packet afterwards anyway. Exactly. All I know is I didn't have a problem. Um, yeah. So. I know that they ask, and they also do a blood test too. Um, yep. And they, you also have, do yeah. a, they do a mental health check too. They do a, yes. a verbal, um, like a, a checklist, I guess. Have you ever had any thoughts of self-harm and, and stuff like that? Um, and I think it's important to talk about that actually because I've seen quite a few people um, ask questions about that because of past experiences where they may, may have like scars on their wrist or whatever yeah. when they've gone through um, a hard time in their life. Now, I don't necessarily like to talk about it, but I did go through a stage in my life where I had issues um, psychologically because I was in a really abusive relationship before I met my husband. Uh-huh. Um, so when I went into there, I was I was shitting my pants when I was talking <laughs> to the doctor yeah. because, for one, I was terrified because it does say that they can decline you if they feel that you may be a, like a risk to yourself or other people. Yeah. And if you've had past history of, suicidal thoughts or depression or anxiety or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and there is a basis that they can decline it kind of thing. Um, now for me, what I did is I actually went to my own doctor. I got my doctor to write a letter, um, basically saying that there was an episode in my life where I, where I struggled in an abusive relationship, what have you, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I had severe anxiety as a result of that. So when I went to the medical, um, I gave them the letter and I was honest with them and I said, yes, I did suffer with anxiety quite badly, um, but these were the reasons as to why, um, and they were fine with it. Now, I think it's very different from people, you know, I think everybody goes through goes through stages like that in their life. I mean, everybody has um, bad points in their life and all the rest of it. So I think that they are quite understanding with stuff like that. It's more the severe cases where they're afraid that if somebody was to come to the country and they weren't able to deal with their psychological issues and they had to be seen by a doctor or they were a risk to somebody else, such as, you know, harming somebody else, then that's when it's is an issue. But I would highly suggest if you go through any of those kind of problems um, or you have in the past, that you do get a letter from your own doctor um, just stating if you're on medication, if you were on medication and what your current status of your um, medical condition is, such as if it's... that's really good, really good yeah. advice. I think the other reason that they ask those mental health check questions is that it doesn't matter what country you come from, whether it's Australia, New Zealand or the UK or Canada or from the Middle East or Africa or Asia there is a lot of adjusting that you need to do when you move here. Mm-hmm. Um, and even for me, I've, you know, often been asked, well, how different is it? And I'm like, well, you know, it's 75% the same and 25% different. And that 25% that's different is really, really different. And, yeah. um, you know, it takes a bit of getting used to. The language is fine. You know, we don't have a, a language issue coming from Australia or New Zealand. But um, necessarily, sometimes people don't understand us particularly well. <laughs> but we we grew up with American TV on our TV screens, so we know what they're saying. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like an unfair advantage. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there are certain things that you make me shake my head, the road rules sometimes. Um, yes. Four-way stop signs I'm still getting used to um, and things like that. You do, you do have to have a like a bit of a state of mind about you to be able to adjust. And I think that's part of what they're looking for. And two, obviously not being able to work. And if your partner or your husband or your wife or what have you um, is at work, you know, eight, ten hours a day and you're at home by yourself, you know, there's a lot of time to think. And if you're a thinker and I'm a thinker, um, you tend to get lost in your own thoughts. And so if you are prone to getting depressed or suffer with anxiety or any of those kind of things, um, that is the time that you're going to end up suffering the worst because you're by yourself. So unless you've got a really good support network and you're able to keep in contact with your family and your friends that are overseas, um, it can be a really trying time and it's super hard on your marriage as well. So Yeah, it can be. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was lucky I wasn't alone at home for that long. Um, yeah. But, yeah, um, I don't have those issues. I can spend all day by myself and never get bored. Um, well, I'm a bit like that now too. I actually kind of enjoy my own company and my cat's company. My cats keep me company. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we've got a couple of cats here as well. So. <laughs> okay. I, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for. Um, we will be back again next week. Hopefully with an extra voice. And, Yay! Uh, <laughs> yes, we're hoping to, to have Paige, who's one of our admins, join us on the podcast next week. And, uh, and we'll come back with more of your questions and uh, some information. And she's American. And she is American, you, which will be would nice. Would you believe it? <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't ask us to repeat things. Yeah, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't ask you to make me a coffee because... Apart from being a long way away, that would be awkward getting it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks very much for joining me, Holly. Thanks, uh, Andrew. I'll talk to you again next week. All right.